As we come to hear God's word, let's bow. Let's pray once more. Father, we're in need of of help that comes from your word, and so we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw our attention to the truth of your word, that you would humble us this morning, whatever it is that's on our minds as we come into this time, we, we pray that you would direct our attention to your word, to your character, to hope that's found in Christ, to joy that's found in the gospel of Jesus. I pray you'd help me to preach faithfully and joyfully, even as I preach. I pray you'd remind me of the grace and the joy that's found in Jesus. Lord, help me to preach what is true, what is honorable to you. I pray you'd work in us for your glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time that you were called normal? I mean, it's kind of funny, right? Is that an insult? Is that a a compliment? Well, even as we think about normal Christianity, is normal Christianity, when we say something like that, is it suggesting mediocre Christianity, American standard Christianity? Normal Christianity, is that a good thing? Well, we often hear about radical Christianity. As a, don't be normal, be radical. And, and I appreciate the call, the, the prodding to live more faithfully for Jesus, to consider how it is we can walk in deeper worship and service and obedience to God. But what if the problem is that we don't need to focus so much on radical Christianity, but rather familiarizing ourselves or, or re-familiarizing ourselves with normal Christianity and living in light of it? Normal doesn't mean boring. It doesn't mean mediocre. Uh, normal, in its simple definition, it means uh, conforming to a standard of what is expected. The, the norms of Scripture. Think about the normal Christian life on Sunday morning. What's normal for Christians on Sunday morning? Obedience to God is to not forsake assembling together, to gather on Sunday morning as a church. That morning that Jesus got up from the dead, indeed, by God's grace, that's happening throughout this city and other congregations as it is here. By God's grace, that's happening on every inhabitable continent this morning as God's gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done in his son has gone out to the ends of the earth. And what we do normally on Sunday mornings, normal Christianity, we sing to one another as commanded by God's word. We sit and listen to the preaching of God's word. You just gave of your own money for the work of the gospel, which is normal amongst Christians. But think about how radical that is in our broader society. That Sunday after Sunday, you would give of your time, you'd give of your money. Where else do you sing publicly? You may sing in the shower, you may sing on your commute to work, but where else do you sing in a room full of people? And some of you may be even thinking, I don't always feel comfortable singing in front of others, but I've grown as a Christian to understand this is part of my ministry, is singing loudly. Maybe you don't feel confident in your voice, but confident in Christ, and therefore praising Him around others. Where else does that happen? I want to suggest that if we follow normal Christianity, that is radical. See, normal Christianity is a pursuit of God's wisdom. That's what we see in the book of Proverbs, this this call to walk on this path, that if indeed you've put your faith in Jesus, he has placed your feet on the path of wisdom, a path that's united to Christ, Jesus Christ, full of wisdom and grace, and to keep pursuing God's wisdom. That is the normal Christian life, growing in God's wisdom in our everyday life. Well, this morning we're in Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 1 through 19. And the main idea that I want you to see in this chapter this morning, or part of the chapter we'll cover, the main idea is this. Our everyday lives are to be a pursuit of gaining wisdom. Our everyday lives are to be a pursuit of gaining wisdom. And if we would live that way, that normal way of Christianity, of pursuing God's wisdom, I would suggest to you, brother and sister in Christ, that's a radical way to live your life. Every day, every moment, every opportunity in the mundane areas of life to seek out God's wisdom and being strengthened. 
We're going to make our way through the passage as we go through it this morning. So let me give you a little bit of context as we consider Proverbs chapter 4. We've been going through these 10 speeches in the beginning of Proverbs and the introduction, these 10 speeches from King Solomon to his son. And in these speeches, King Solomon is exhorting his son to embrace wisdom and to cultivate the fear of the Lord. So today we cover speech 5 and speech 6. They're marked off there. So if you look in verse 1, that phrase, hear, O sons, so that one's actually in the plural. That's the fifth speech in the introduction of Proverbs. And then there in verse 10, a similar phrase, hear, my son, that is the sixth speech. So when we see that introduction, that marks off one of these speeches from King Solomon passing on wisdom to his son. So speech 5 and 6 in these two lessons this morning, we see that King Solomon, he employs two metaphors to illustrate wisdom. The metaphor of a person and a path. He's commending, think of wisdom as a person you have a relationship with and think of wisdom as a path that you walk on. It's two metaphors there and that's going to make up our outline this morning as we look at verses 1 through 19. Our outline this morning are two ways to think about wisdom. And these two ways to think about wisdom are going to track with these two metaphors. First, in verses 1 through 9, wisdom is a person you walk with. And second, in verses 10 through 19, wisdom is a path you walk on. Wisdom is a person you walk with. Wisdom is a path you walk with. On. Let's first look at verses 1 through 9, this first way to think about wisdom. Wisdom is a person you walk with. Well, it's past Father's Day last Sunday. My wife hosted a Sunday evening dinner, Father's Day dinner, at our house. My mom and dad, they're local, so we just had the blessing of having them join us for that meal. So it was my dad and my mom, it was me and my family, so my wife, uh, my two boys, and my two girls were there. And uh, what that made up was three generations of Russell men on Father's Day. My dad, me, and my two sons, young men. And one of our family traditions is that whatever it is we're celebrating, whether it's a birthday, whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, we take time while we're eating to go around everyone and to encourage the person that we're honoring. So if it's your birthday, we're going to go around and share things we're thankful for about your life. So on Father's Day, we had the chance to do that. And we started first with my father, and we went around, and we just encouraged him. He's a believer. His faith's been in Jesus Christ for decades. He's been a great father. And my kids got to hear me praise my father and to thank him for what a good dad he has been and continues to be to us. And he got to hear them as grandkids thanking him and pointing out evidence of God's grace in his life. And then it was my turn, and my kids were able to share that with me, and my dad was able to share encouragement with me and evidence of God's grace they saw in my life. It was a tremendously encouraging time. But that time of encouragement, it didn't serve just to bless the one that was being honored. I think it also served as an example to all of us of what wisdom looks like and an encouragement, a motivation to pursue that. As we're pointing out things in my dad's life, me and my kids were sitting there hearing what's being praised or prized and therefore something that's to be emulated. Live like you see your grandfather living. Give yourself to what he gave himself and continues to give himself. Do you see it served as a lesson for passing on wisdom? And here in verses 1 through 9, we have a similar scene. An appeal to wisdom that involves three generations. You see there in verse 1, two of those generations, King Solomon appealing to his sons. Let me read verses 1 and 2 for us. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. And then the third generation is mentioned there in verse 3. He mentions his father, who would have been King David. And he also mentions his mother there. Look at verse 3. When I was a son with my father... Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He's recounting wisdom from his parents. His parents passed on the word of God to him. The, the instruction and teaching that he's mentioned here again, God's commands. The, the law of, of God. And we see here that wisdom is multi-generational. Meaning it's passed on from one generation to the next. Whatever wisdom you have was given to you first and foremost by God. 
But there's a previous generation that passed that on to you. It may have been mom or dad, a grandparent, maybe a neighbor, a classmate, a friend. Somebody passed on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody passed on the word to you. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher when you were a little kid. Maybe it was a coworker. Someone you worked with every day was a Christian that pointed you to the truth of God found in Jesus Christ. Whatever wisdom from God that he's given you, he delivered that to you through another generation. He's designed things that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And therefore, there are messengers who point, on, who point people on to the truth of God found in Christ. Here in this particular setting, he's talking about the message being passed down through families. And indeed, that's what we see in the Old Covenant in Israel, that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments, His law written on tablets of stone that was then given to Israel to the parents to teach their children diligently and to pass that on for the next generation to know God, to worship Him, and to serve Him. So he's pointing to this multi-generational aspect of, of wisdom that shapes life in the family, and it also shapes life in the local church, one generation in the church, proclaiming the truth of God to the next. Brothers and sisters in Christ, recognize that God has given us a community to grow in wisdom. He's given us a community. I'm thankful for the community God gave me in my family. I understand some of you don't come from Christian families. I understand that God still blessed you in ways through non-Christian parents, through God's common grace, but think about the community He's given all of us here in this local church. Mothers and fathers in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith. We don't use that term because that just sounds really nice and sentimental. We use that term because it points to a spiritual reality, that we are a family united together by the Holy Spirit of God and our faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God's given you a community to grow in wisdom. Perhaps that's your family, certainly your church family, friends that you've surrounded yourself with that would encourage you and build you up. And in those communities, we are all passing something on. Uh, Parents, what is it that you're passing down to your children? What's God's word? It's godly character. It's passing on the truth of the, the gospel. But beyond even your biological family church member, what are you passing on to other members of this church? If we're going to pass on wisdom, it involves necessarily passing on the Word of God, passing on godly character. We see here in this proverb that godly wisdom is passed on by the Word of God being proclaimed and taught, people being reminded of the truth of God's Word. Well, brother and sister, consider what it is that you're passing on to the next generation. Parents, consider what it is that you're passing on to your children. I I am so thankful for the many godly parents that we have in this congregation. We've got some of you, like like our family, you've got children in their last leg in high school and trying to prepare them for what the Lord may have next for them. We've got so many of you standing in the back even now with little babies. We're so thankful for the blessing of little babies that God has given to this congregation, and I'm encouraged as a pastor to see the pursuit of members of our church to grow as godly parents, that you want to pass on the Word of God. And let me tell you something, as challenging as it is to parent, there's simplicity to it. You're here this morning. By God's grace, you brought your kids to church this morning. That's just one of the most simple and effective steps of spiritual leadership in the home. You showed up. You came here because you love the Lord, because you want to be obedient to Him. That's setting an example. It's allowing seeds of God's Word to be planted in your life and in the lives of your children. Let's pray that God brings fruit from that. What about wisdom passed on from older men in the church to younger men? From older women to younger women. And hear me correctly. Every member of this church, you're an older man to someone. I'm thankful for some of our men this week in their 20s, some of our, our women in this, week, this week in their 20s that are going to Clarity Camp, and they're going to pass on the Word of God to teenagers. Everyone, every member of our church, you are an older man or older woman to someone. And how can you seek to be an encouragement to point others around us to the truth of God's Word? I would encourage you to consider, church member, how you might serve in our next generation ministries. 
our children's ministry. We talked about VBS coming up next month and the opportunities there to pass on the Word of God to the next generation. Being involved in Oakhurst Student Ministry or uh, those involved in the C316 College Ministry. Maybe it's something as simple as just initiating a coffee with a younger man or woman in the church to try to encourage them, build them up, to talk about the most recent sermon. Maybe it's you taking the initiative towards an older man or an older woman and saying, hey, I want to glean some wisdom from you in this area of my life. How can you pass on the Word of God to others? How can you position yourself to be a recipient of God's Word passed on from others in our church? Well, the rest of what we read in verses 4 through 9, it's Solomon recounting wisdom that he gained from his father, and he's passing that wisdom on to the next generation to his son. That's why you see everything there in verses 4 through 9. It's in quotations. He's just taking grandfather's teaching. King David, he's recounting it and passing it on to his sons. Let me read through verses 4 and 9 for us. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. We see there something familiar in the Proverbs so far. That's in verse 4, that wisdom involves our hearts. Verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments. Again, the reminder that in order to truly obey God, your heart must be engaged with Him and His Word. In other words, God's law has to be internalized. We thought a couple weeks ago about how we see that as being the glory of the new covenant. What the prophet Jeremiah looked forward to, the day that God, by His Spirit, would write His Word and His commandments on our heart. And the old covenant, Moses, the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone, and the new covenant, through Jesus Christ and the regeneration of God's Holy Spirit, the moment of conversion, God's law written on your heart, causing you to obey and to keep His statutes. You see, when it comes to the Christian faith, Our heart matters. True obedience involves our hearts keeping the Word of God. He cares not only about our actions, but also about our hearts. In other words, don't settle in your own life for mere outward conformity to God's commands. That's not obedience. Don't settle in your parenting for that either. Or teach our children to, to love God from the heart. So therefore, the heart must be shepherded. Your own heart, the hearts of others. You can't possibly walk in obedience to God and in wisdom apart from your heart keeping God's command. So he appeals to their hearts. And the rest of his appeal, the grandfather's words being passed down through the father, it emphasizes the need to pursue wisdom. So he, he keeps hammering home, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. That's what we see in verse 5. Get wisdom. Get insight. Like, like pretty simple directions, right? Get wisdom. Insight means understanding. It's just synonymous there with wisdom. Proverbs, biblical proverbs, are meant to make us wise in the Lord. This wisdom that we're to get, we've been defining wisdom throughout this sermon series using this definition. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Get wisdom. This appeal is given again down to verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. You hear that and you're like, all right, I'm ready for it. What is it? The beginning of wisdom is what? Get wisdom. And whatever wisdom you get, get insight. You may think, okay, well, that sounds great, all right? I need a little more help there. You may wonder what's, what's next, but the focus here is not on the content 
of what wisdom is. To be sure, there's content, but the focus here is rather hammering home the need to pursue wisdom. One scholar interpreted verse 5 as saying something like this, do you want it? Come and get it. Get after it. Give yourself to wisdom. Buy and exchange wisdom for everything that you own. At any cost, give yourself and your attention and your time and your resources to pursuing God's wisdom. Let's think about this. That that word get, it also means acquire. Acquire wisdom. Think about all the things you've acquired in the last year. Let's think specifically about material possessions that you've acquired. Think about your attic. Think about things up in your attic that you think you may need one day. And I'm one of the worst at this. I do not love throwing things away. I just would rather put it in the attic in case I may need it. And I look at things like I haven't needed this shirt for the last eight years. I haven't thought about wearing it, but it just stays up in my attic. It makes me feel better that that shirt is up there should I decide to dust it off and put it on one day. And there's all sorts of other things. So we joke around with my parents, my brother and I do. Hey, mom, dad, while you're still in good health, go ahead and clean out your attic. Because one day you're going to leave that for us to clean out. All these things that are up there. While you're retired and in good health, like help us out because there's lots of stuff that is there. Think about your closets. Think about all that you've acquired in life. Even think about your valuable items. They will likely end up one day at goodwill. They will likely, even your valuable stuff, will likely one day end up being sold And in a state sale, well, somebody will come in and pay pennies on the dollar for something you treasured and valued and was meaningful to you in life. Is it really worth it to acquire more and more material possessions? I think that the the call here, the urgent call is don't spend your life acquiring possessions that will rust and that will fade, that you'll lose or they'll be destroyed, that you can't take with you. When you die, the message here, there is nothing more important, nothing more urgent to acquire in life than wisdom. Therefore, get after it. Go out and acquire wisdom. Have you considered even your pursuit of being here at church this morning is a pursuit of wisdom? Lots of other things you could be doing. But Christian, you're here because you want to be here. You want to know God and know Jesus more. You want to grow in your knowledge of God's Word. Keep on that path. Encourage one another on that path. You see, Christian, maybe we need this reminder more than we think. Get wisdom. It sounds so simple. Maybe, maybe it leaves you dissatisfied. Okay, how do I get wisdom? Like, what does wisdom look like? I need a little bit more than that. But maybe we just need that urgent reminder more than we think. You see, worldly wisdom prioritizes get money, get relationships, Get a bigger house. You have your starter house. Get get a bigger house. Get more things. Acquire more stuff in your life. But in the Proverbs, we see that acquiring wisdom is more urgent and important and valuable and lasting than any of that. So therefore, give yourself to pursuing wisdom. And consider how this lesson impacted King Solomon. He's saying, hey, my dad taught me that. He taught me to get wisdom. Two weeks ago, I reflected on 1 Kings chapter 3, when God came to Solomon and said, ask me anything you desire. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for health and long life. Those have been a good thing to ask for. He didn't even ask for victory over his enemies. What did Solomon ask? What was this one thing he asked for? Wisdom. And that pleased God. And God not only gave him wisdom, but as Solomon sought the kingdom of God, All these other things were added to him by the grace of God. Well, Christian, how often do you pray and ask God to get wisdom? It's good to pray and ask him for a number of other things. Feel free to ask God to bless you in so many ways. It's not bad to pray for material things either. It's not. But how often do you pray for wisdom? We see in the book of James that God gives wisdom to those who ask. Let's be askers. Let's be those who come and ask God more and more for his wisdom. Do you have a a sense of, of urgency when it comes to pursuing wisdom 
and asking God for it. That's a good request to make a part of your daily prayers this week, Christian, to ask God for wisdom. Get wisdom and and look at the second half of verse 5. Once you gain wisdom, don't forget it. Don't turn away. Pay, Pay close attention to God's commands. Keep on walking in wisdom. We thought a couple weeks ago, again, what forgetting looks like, that one big threat amongst Christians for forgetting is being so familiar with God's Word that we don't really keep it. Oh, we've heard that before. I I could finish that verse for you. I I know that. I, I heard that so many times. I can finish that for you. But being familiar is not enough. We're to be strengthened to walk by faith, to trust God's Word more. And I'll ask you again, Christian, What is a threat in your life to forgetting God's Word? If it's familiarity and where it stops with just mere familiarity, ask God to grow you in your faith as you hear His Word today, as you seek to read His Word this week. Now, notice this lesson on how not to forget wisdom. We see this spelled out here, really starting in verse 6. It's to pursue wisdom in your everyday life. So if you don't want to forget wisdom... Pursue wisdom in your everyday life. Look at verse 6. So so notice the results of maintaining a relationship with wisdom. Here's where the metaphor plays out. A relationship with wisdom. Look at verse 6. Do not forsake her. The result, she will keep you. So Solomon's presenting this metaphor here. Wisdom as a, a woman. The metaphor making the point to his sons, you must have a relationship with wisdom. And as you seek to maintain this relationship with wisdom, look at the impact. Look at the results. Do not forsake her. The result, she will keep you. Love her. To love is to set your affection on, to direct the attention of your heart towards. Love her, and she will guard you. Love wisdom. Don't forsake wisdom. Pursue wisdom, and you will find great reward. Skipping down to verse 8. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a, a beautiful crown. All rewards listed there. Prize wisdom. She will exalt you, meaning she will lift you up. She will honor you. And it gives the picture here of being crowned with glory. In other words, wisdom is your glory. What you adorn yourself with as a Christian is wisdom. When I sat around that table on Father's Day dinner, pointing out evidence of God's grace, what I was pointing out in the life of my dad was godly wisdom that I saw that 45 years later still strikes me as standing out and significant and something to praise my father for and to encourage him to continue to pursue. In other words, godly wisdom is what the Christian life is going to be adorned with and therefore what others will notice about you. What will stand out is beautiful in the life of a Christian. What your children will praise you for. Now, all the stuff you acquired in life, your children will be throwing that stuff away one day. What they'll praise you for is godly wisdom that is profitable for this life and in the next. So give yourself to that. Wisdom is not a a set of life hacks. We don't find in the biblical Proverbs practical tips merely for living your life, but rather godly wisdom that's to be a part of your life. Godly wisdom that's to be a part of your everyday life and a call to deepen your relationship with godly wisdom. And I I love this metaphor, presenting wisdom as a relationship, presenting wisdom as a person to be embraced. Because I, I think what we see here in the book of Proverbs presents the truth that unfolds in the pages of the Bible, that wisdom is a person, Jesus You see, you and I were born into this world with a relationship with sin. The Bible describes us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, as being dead in our sins, spiritually dead. Therefore, on the path of wickedness, on the path of folly, the path of sin, a life where sin dominated us, spiritually dead. And Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came into the world to deliver us from our sin. 
The eternal Son of God, truly God, truly man, He died on the cross in our place. He rose from the dead. That if we would repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus, He gives us new life, putting an end to sin's mastery over us and bringing us into a relationship with Jesus, the one who alone is wise bringing us into this union with Jesus. And those who are united to Jesus by putting your faith in Him, walk with Jesus now and forevermore. And when you walk daily with Jesus, that's walking in wisdom. You want to grow in a relationship with wisdom? Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Read through Philippians chapter 3. Look at the ambition and the desire Paul had to know Jesus more. A guy who who came face to face with the risen Lord Jesus, wanted to know him more. Brother and sister, make it your prayer that by God's grace, you would know Jesus more this year than you did last year. Knowing him, like prizing him, praising him, keeping his word by your grace. And as you walk daily with the Lord, as you walk with Jesus, you will start to display this honor and glory more and more in your life. A life of wisdom that doesn't make yourself look great, but rather a life of wisdom that seeks to honor God and to bring Him glory. A life that walks with Jesus. A life that loves Him and seeks to keep His commands. A life that prizes and praises Jesus. Brother and sister, there is no better life. There is no better life than knowing God, who He is, and what he's done in Jesus. It is worth forsaking everything else in the world that you might know him more. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him, we want you to know him. We plead with you. Consider the truth about Jesus. Consider this good news, this gospel we shared. Talk to someone who brought you this morning. Talk to any of our pastors. We'll be at the doors afterwards, after the service. We'd love to talk to you more about what it would look like to forsake your present life, turn away from your life, and pursue and know wisdom found in Jesus. Well, there's a second way to think about wisdom that we see in this sixth lesson in verses 10 through 19. And the second way to think about wisdom is this. Wisdom is a path you walk on. Wisdom is a path you walk on. So get wisdom Keep going, keep on walking. That's what this sixth speech is about, perseverance. Again, we see the phrase in verse 10, hear my son, and that structure marks off another appeal from father to son, the sixth appeal. This appeal uses the metaphor of a path, and it teaches that that wisdom is a path you walk on. It's, It's to be a part of your everyday life, like you're on this path, stay on this path. And this proverb, and really throughout the pages of the Bible, we see life presented like a path. So life is like a journey down a path. Now, that doesn't sound terribly different from what the world tells us. A common message in the world is your life is a journey. You're you're, you're on a, a journey. And the world would say, well, everyone has their own path. The world would teach you there is no right or wrong path. Travel your own path. The world would say, blaze your own trail. You get to determine the path that is best to you. You are free to take whatever path you want. You are free to define the path and live life however you want to. And anyone who expresses disapproval, well, they're wrong for doing that. That's the message of the world. And the world will wrongly suggest any of those paths you choose will all lead to the same place anyway. If there is a God, well, they all lead to Him. If there is a heaven, they all lead to Him. Just take the path that best suits you. Well, here in the book of Proverbs, indeed of all of Scripture, we see that there are only two paths. There are only two ways to live. There's the path of wisdom and the path of folly. There's the path of righteousness and the path of wickedness. And the gospel tells us the bad news. Again, you and I were born on the path of wickedness, the path of sin, a path where we were unable to please God because we did not have faith in Jesus. And therefore, we must be made alive through faith in Christ and our feet 
firmly placed on the path of wisdom. And the rest of your Christian life, until you go to be with the Lord and glory, is about walking on this path one step at a time. It's a straight path, but keep in mind there's a wicked path beside it that takes twists and turns and regularly comes close with temptation for us to step off or look away or turn away from this path of wisdom. And therefore, in this lesson, King Solomon, he he warns his son and instructs them of both. This appeal from from Solomon to his son, it contrasts these two paths. So first, he exhorts his son to walk the path of wisdom. Then he warns his son, avoid, stay away from the path of wickedness. Let's look there in verses 10 through 13. We see the path of wisdom described. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. We see something important here in this section. That passing on the word of God, passing on wisdom, it involves teaching and an example. Solomon says, I've taught you the way of wisdom, and I have led you on the paths of uprightness. Hear my teaching, follow my leadership. And that's what passing on God's Word to those around us and your family and your church family it involves teaching and setting an example. Consider what that looks like in the home. and Consider what that looks like in discipling relationships here in our local church. There is wisdom that is taught, and there is wisdom that is caught in life and examples. Notice that Solomon tells his son, you've already been taught and shown the way. Keep on walking. Verse 13, keep hold of. Do not let go. Guard her. Those exhortations all show in the importance of perseverance, that it doesn't only matter how you start, but how you finish. In other words, wisdom is not a one-time decision. To travel this path of wisdom, you must continue on step by step, day by day, moment by moment down the path of wisdom. So this metaphor of a path, of a journey, it highlights that wisdom is to be a part of of your everyday life. Just as a journey involves taking one step at a time, so it is with walking the path of of wisdom. One step, one decision at a time. Well, consider how many decisions you make in an average day. I read an article that suggested that in your brain each day, the average person is making upwards of 35,000 decisions. I know no way to verify that. But this article suggesting here that whether you're making breakfast or deciding what you wear in in the morning, uh, whether you decide what you're going to say or not going to say, what you're going to tweet or delete, all these decisions you're making in your mind, uh, what you're going to eat for lunch, what you're going to do when you get to the office, the words that you use, all of these decisions day by day, step by step, going through your mind. And the Bible would say every one of them is an opportunity to pursue wisdom. You see, big decisions in your life matter. But sometimes I think that big decisions are overrated. They matter, but you make a few big decisions in your life. Some decisions, they, they feel a lot bigger than they really are. Just talk to older saints here. They'll tell you sometimes when you're younger, you sweat things that really don't matter that much at the end of the day. and They seem really big in the moment. And as life goes on, they're not as big. Don't overlook everyday small decisions. Don't overlook the supposed 35,000 decisions we might make every day for like three or four big ones you might make in a lifetime. They all matter, but what about daily faithfulness considering these small everyday steps? In other words, the normal Christian life, it's small, steady paths on the path of wisdom. Small, steady steps in faith and in obedience to God's Word. You see, this path of wisdom, this metaphor here, it's a path, it's a journey, it's not a walk in the park. It means walking in wisdom is not easy. It leads to life. Verse 10 and 13, they, they highlight this. 
It's not easy, but it leads to life. As you travel this path, there will be daily temptations to turn away from the path of wisdom. Uh, daily temptations. We'll, we'll often find ourselves feeling faint-hearted on this path and this journey. And the call is one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. A number of years ago, I went on a pretty difficult hike with a friend who encouraged me to go in the Grand Canyon. And those of you who know me, you know I am a lover of the great indoors. So I'll go if there's a really awesome opportunity, like seeing the Grand Canyon, there's a friend. Uh, but I got on that trail and thought, why am I doing this? Uh, this is called the Bright Angel Trail. It's 12 miles round trip. There's like a, a, a 3,100 elevation, foot elevation drop. And by the time we got down to the bottom of this place called Plateau Point, it was 108 degrees. And, and the way down is easy, right? It doesn't, it's not hard to get down into the canyon. I mean, you just got to make sure you don't slip and fall. It's, it's, gravity takes care of most of it. And we got down to the bottom. It's 108 degrees. And, uh, and I read recently that this trip typically takes 8 to 12 hours. Peter, I don't know why you made me do it in five I was doing it with Peter. Normally it takes 8 to 12 hours to do it. And we kind of went down and came back up. Well, it's 108 degrees, and you got to go back up 3,200 feet. So you're dealing with oxygen levels changing. Uh, thankfully, I was somewhat prepared, and I had like two big old things of water. So I, I was downing like 40 ounces of water every mile and a half. So on this journey, it was like, all right, keep one foot in front of the other. We're going up all these kind of switchbacks, and I'm looking up. And there's this daunting canyon. And I think to myself, like, is there a mule around here anywhere? <laughs> why, why did I do this? How am I going to get out of here? And this is too embarrassing if I've got to get a helicopter to get me out of here. <laughs> so i got to keep going. It's one step in front of another. Now, by God's grace, there was rest along the way. Every mile and a half, there was a shelter. And it covered you from the sun. You'd sit in the shelter, and it covered you from the sun, and there was fresh water. There was also a telephone there for emergencies, which was tempting to pick up and call for help. You drink water, and you sit there, and it made me feel better because we, we came across these two Michigan State graduates who were much younger and much better shaped than me, and they were having a hard time too. So it made me feel better in my struggle. There are fellow strugglers along the way. But every mile and a half, rest up, get out of that desert sun load up on water, drink 40 ounces more of water, mile and a half, rest. And step by step, one foot in front of the other, we finally got up to the top of the canyon. Well, doesn't it feel like that in our spiritual life sometimes? Like, how am I going to keep going? I feel discouraged. Life's hard. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we get surprised by our own sin, by our own failures. I don't know why. Read the Bible, we shouldn't be too surprised at our struggles with sin. Or, the Bible is pretty realistic, our struggles this side of glory. But we'll regularly need to confess our sins because we've given in. But there's rest along the way. Think about this rest as shelter this morning, shelter from the scorching sun, a chance to load up on water, a chance to go out and continue on. Fellow strugglers along the path sitting here this morning to provide encouragement and help. It's a journey it is difficult and challenging to be on the path of wisdom, but I think the point here is this. It's about everyday faithfulness, one decision at a time, one step at a time. As you journey one step at a time, proceed with caution. There's another path you must avoid. We see this path to avoid in verses 14 through 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And again, you may think here, okay, I need more description than this. How do I recognize this path of wickedness? Like all you're telling me to do is avoid it and turn away from it. And there aren't even reasons given here to avoid this path. What you have are words of strong caution and urgency to beware but think of it kind of like a beware of the dog sign. If you see a beware of the dog sign, you really don't need to know more. Like, don't keep going. I know some people pump fake you on that. They have a chihuahua behind that. But it might be a pit bull. So you're not going to take your chances. Beware of the dog. That's all you need to see is that sign. It will probably stop you, and you'll probably go to the next house or down the next path. That's kind of what we got here. Beware. Look out for the path of wickedness. Don't keep going. Turn away from it if you find yourself or when you find yourself on it. Now, to be sure, Solomon does follow with some description of those who are on this path. 
Here's what he has to say about the wicked in verses 16 and 17. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. There are people that are zealous for good. If you're a Christian, that's who God has made you to be. And there are also people we see here that are zealous for evil, for wickedness. That's who you once were, Christian. The wicked are pictured here as those who can't sleep until they commit their wicked deeds, until they can grab a hold of others to join them in wickedness. The wicked are pictured here as those who hunger and thirst for wickedness and violence. Stay away from that path. Don't follow wicked people. You live in a city that is full of wickedness. And sometimes we get too comfortable here. This is a moment for us to consider God's Word, to ask Him to make us sober-minded, to help us to live less and less like the world and more and more in a godly way. Uh, one area of wickedness I'll point to, and, and by pointing this out, I hesitate to point it out because I don't want to make this out to be the cardinal sin, but I think it's a tremendous problem in our society, so I'm going to point it out. Just, just know the qualifier here. There, there's many other ways to walk in wickedness. When I think about something that has been prized in recent years that's wicked, I think pornography. When I grew up, you'd have to go to one of those shady stores to get something like that. And today, it's accessible in one click on your phone. It's a wicked industry full of wicked people that are abusing others. And if you give yourself over to that Christian, you're walking with wicked people. You're supporting something that has nothing good to it. No product that is to be esteemed. Taking something good that God created that's beautiful and perverting it and participating in wickedness. Hurting your own mind and heart. Hurting your own walk with God. Hurting your neighbor as you participate in it. I highlight this not because it's the most wicked thing in society or the main wicked thing you need to look out for, but rather because I think our society as a whole has become desensitized to it. When I think about avoid this path and that language that Solomon gives there, could we apply that type of urgency and sensitivity to such a wicked path like that in all forms of sexual immorality? Look out. Beware. When you find yourself stepping or looking towards that path, turn away quickly. Seek help from others to get you on the path of wisdom once again. You see, the consequences for living on this path they're exposed there in verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Don't give yourself over to darkness. Don't give yourself, don't expose your heart and your mind to darkness. You've heard me say this a hundred times here in this church, probably since you've been here. We will not hunger for righteousness if we're snacking on sin. If we give ourselves over to darkness, it's going to impact our hunger and appetite for righteousness. This picture, the way of the wicked, it gets darker and darker, so dark that they don't know what they're stumbling over, so dark that it just becomes comfortable. The wicked path is one of danger and confusion, but contrast that with the path of wisdom. It's not a path of danger and confusion, but rather clarity and certainty. The path of wisdom and righteousness, get back to verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You probably start your morning exercise or walk around dawn. It's much easier to do. There's light out. You can see what you're doing, but it's not scorching you. It's not, it's not heating your body up. It's not making life too difficult in that way. But if you start out on a journey at dawn, where the sun's there, and you keep going, at midday, the sun is going to be its brightest. And that's what the illustration being used here by Solomon is, is that those who walk the path of righteousness, here comes the light, and it's going to shine brighter and brighter until eventually you reach full day. The righteous, by God's grace, walk the path of wisdom, live in the light, and as you continue down that path, as you get closer to the end of that path, 
the light shines brighter and brighter. You see more clearly until one day you are fully consumed by the light. Brother and sister, that metaphor points to going to heaven to be with the Lord or when Jesus returns, that you'll be consumed by light. There will be no more presence of darkness, no more temptation, no more path of wickedness or folly to pester you. All you'll know is light. The battle here is not merely to not sin. Don't confuse the Christian life as mainly just trying not to set foot on the path of wickedness. Rather, the Christian ambition, it's the light. Jesus, the light. What did he define himself as or present himself as in John 8, 12? The light of the world. We continue on that path because we want more of the light. We want to know Christ more. We continue on this way because this way is a person. John 14, 6, what did Jesus say I am? I am the way. <laughs> I'm the path to travel. Wisdom is a person, a person you have a relationship with, Jesus. What keeps believers going down the path of wisdom is that, Christian, by God's grace, your eyes have been opened to see the glory of Christ and the light of Christ, and by God's grace, He keeps you where you want more of Him. In Christ, there is wisdom. Being united to Him spiritually will keep you on the path of wisdom until the end when you see Christ in glory, in all His fullness, when forever we will be with the Lord. Brother and sister, wisdom is an everyday path that we travel. There will be failures. There will be temptation. There will be some stumbling, but by God's grace, He lifts us back up he puts our feet firmly on the path of wisdom until that day he finally delivers us home. Until that day he's given us a new heart. He's filled us with his spirit. He's given us a community that passes on the word of God to us and encourages us and builds us up. He uses all of that to sustain us in him. None of us perfectly travel this path. None of us have perfectly or will perfectly walk in wisdom and honor the Lord, but there is one we know who has, and we're united to him, Jesus, the Son of God. Our imperfect faith clings to a perfect Christ, the one who's full of love and grace and power and wisdom and help. His perfect life, his perfect righteousness counted as yours, you united to him, a heart that would trust in him and rest in him until the end. Brothers and sisters, let's ask God that we would know Christ more in our everyday life, at your job, at school, at home. Let's ask God that it would bother us more and more when we sin, that we would be more quick to repent, growing as a Christian, repenting faster, resting in Christ more. And brother and sister in Christ, May we ask for the Lord's help that we would cling more and more to this perfect Jesus in whom we find rest. Let's bow and pray that now.